Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello. Hello. Look at us in the same room. I know, it's so nice. How long has it been? A long time. Five weeks more? Six. Wow. Yeah, a long wow. time. I uh, I wanted to start with, with something useful for our listeners, the Drifters. Oh, yeah. And it is a crime prevention tip. Okay. Now, I know that a lot of people worry about being burgled. Mm-hmm. Lots of us have valuable electronic equipment these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, here's something to put your mind at rest. Mm-hmm. So if you have a laptop computer or an iPad yeah, and you're about to go out mm-hmm. and you're just anxious about somebody breaking in and stealing it, yeah, here's what you do. You put it under a cushion on the sofa. <laughs> Really? And that, that completely, completely thwarts burglars. Uh, really? Anytime I go out and I notice the laptops in the living room, is that what I you just do? Get it, put it under a cushion on the sofa. <laughs> and it, it, it would just never occur to them to look there. I tell you what, I used to do one. I used to have a futon. Yeah. I used to put it in the fold of the futon, yeah. slip it in. Yeah. I always thought that yeah. was very good. Very good. Yeah, very good. Very good. I mean, you, you, sometimes in films and things, you you, you see them like uh, crack a safe using a stethoscope. Mm. Or outwit like laser triggered burglar alarms by like I don't know coming in de- coming down on a bungee from the ceiling <laughs> yeah. from a skylight. Yeah, yeah. But they just don't know what to do when they come up against a sofa cushion. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't occur wouldn't, to them to look under to them, it. No, no, no. Very good. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that advice. <laughs> my um, my friend Alex Cossack used to 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 thwart burglars, potential burglars. He he used to use a Bible. Hmm. And what he did is he he got a copy of the Bible, like a big, thick, leather-bound one, and then he sort of hollowed it out, <laughs> made a hole in the middle of the pages, 
And then he used to keep not huge amounts of money, but a few hundred pounds worth. It was in Sweden, so Swedish krona in there because he figured that if anybody ever broke into his house, if it was a burglar, then they would stay away from the Bible because they'd be feeling too guilty because of no, the sin. No, as if, <laughs> as if anyone breaking into a house is worrying about that. But I love the fact that someone one day will find a hollowed out Bible and think that it was something much more exciting. Yeah, yeah, like it was a spy, a spy yeah, drop yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or a spy drop, yeah. Um, I was reading an old article on the BBC website about how burglars, I think you, we, we've heard people talk about this before, sometimes leave bowel movements at the scene mm. of a crime. Yes, yeah. And there was a quote from a uh, a forensic psychologist who said that when he's asked about this, he always asks the police who were at the crime scene to uh, to describe the firmness of the stool. Really? Yes, because if it's soft, it's a nervous burglar, you know, like... Uh, they're, they're, they're a high level of anxiety and they lose control of the bowels. Ah. But if it's hard, it's malicious. Oh, how interesting. Yes. So if it happens to you, you'll know whether it's just a, a nervous <laughs> burglar or an angry one. Oh, that's so good to know. Yeah. Um, now, I do have a bit of a story about um, Alex Cossack, this friend of mine with the Bible. Okay. Uh, but I'm I'm slightly apprehensive about telling it on here because whilst I'm very open on this podcast about how pathetic I am as a human being, Mm. I think I try to downplay how disgusting I am. Right. And uh, you you might well be thinking, well, I'm not sure that you try that hard. Or, or what's what's he holding back? After that to the stuff point? about burglars' bowels and stuff. <laughs> yeah. but th- this this goes beyond that. So I want to say that if you if you're listening to this and there are, as occasionally happens, children in the vicinity, mm. or if you want to preserve uh, any mental image you may have of me as some kind of innocent cherub, then maybe skip the next couple of minutes. Okay. This won't be in any way a revelation to you because you know me mm-hmm. and you 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 know that I love filthy and inappropriate things. Mm -hmm. Not doing them. No, 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 no. Just hearing about them. I'm very much uh, vanilla, Mm. I think they call it, in the the respect of doing them. Yeah. I sometimes think, you know, they say everybody has a kink. Mm. I think mine is nondescript monogamy and very low lighting. (laughs) That's your thing. Yeah. Everyone's got their thing. But, But in terms of like saying stuff, I, I will say like really terrible, offensive, filthy things. O- only ever with with the right people. If there's no danger of genuine offence or being misconstrued, mm-hmm. I'm trying to say I never get that wrong. But by and large, mm. if if I feel there's uh, somebody is simpatico mm-hmm. or understands where I'm coming from, then I'll just say terrible, terrible things mm-hmm. or talk about like really disgusting subjects. So. This is where my, my friend Alex Kosek comes in because we have, for many years, like each had a, a taste for trying to shock the other one to the extent that I think if anybody else, even even you was to read our text messages to and from each other dating back over the decades, like I think Anybody who did that, if if they were leaked to our friends, like we would both be shunned, <laughs> and we we would like by by people we know, by the rest of society, 
and we'd have to go and live in a shack somewhere as exiles, just in a shack, wow. saying disgusting things to each other. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, so the other week, I was knocking around online, and I was actually looking for a birthday present for a colleague. Mm-hmm. And I came across a website, uh, which was one of these, like, what to buy for him gift lists. Mm-hmm. And I think it was written like with a spouse or a partner in mind. Right. But I thought, oh, this could be good uh, for a source of present inspiration. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking through it and it's stuff like wallets and jumpers and aftershave. Right. But then it gets into slightly saucy gifts. Okay. And in the, the slightly saucy gift suggestions, there is a novelty kit to make a a glow-in-the-dark replica of your own penis that can then <laughs> vibrate and be used as a sex toy. Wow. How much did that cost, Evan? Well. <laughs> oh, we're coming to that, okay. So straight away I thought I'm going to order that for, uh, for Alex Cossack, right? Of right, course, yeah. And I think it cost about £30. Is that all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is much cheaper than I imagined. I know. Wow. We should do a little prices right thing. Yeah, yeah. I would have gone way higher. So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy this for Alex. I am then going to keep track of the courier online. And on the day that it's due to arrive... I'm going to send a text message. Like It'll be quite cryptic when it gets it. That just says, like, go F yourself. <laughs> Obviously not F. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'll think, why has Jeff sent that? And then this yeah. box will turn up and it'll be hilarious. Great. So I do this. <laughs> and then like, over the course of the next few days, I gleefully watch its progress. It's, <laughs> as it's dispatched from the UK and shipped to Sweden where Alex lives. And I'm really giddy about it you know, like a kid when they're on the santa tracker right see santa is yeah that's that's me watching where this um make a replica i think it's called cloner willy <laughs> kit okay. okay okay and i can see you know it it, it, it gets to sweden you know it's, it's at an airport then it's at some delivery center and then mm. it gets stuck and I'm pressing refresh. Mm. Every few hours I'm checking it. And the status just says on hold. I'm thinking, what's going mm. on here? This happens for a couple of days. Yeah. And then I get the inevitable email yeah. asking me to call the courier. Okay. So I call them. Yeah. And it's their office in Sweden. Yeah. And uh, the the call is answered by... A very nice, by the sounds of it, older lady. Oh, okay, yeah. And she asked me for my tracking number. I give it to her. Yeah. My name, yeah. same, recipient's name, uh-huh. delivery, ad- d- delivery address, give her his address. And then it happens. She says, uh, <laughs> and uh, and what, are the con- what is the content of the parcel? Oh, God. So, uh, oh God, what do you say? Say, so, uh, it's. it's oh God, uh, I, don't, I almost don't. I can't even was about to hear it. Okay, go on. Say, uh, it's 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 uh, it's an adult item. Okay, okay, that's fine. No, it's not because she goes. Oh I'm no! So, she goes. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Now, <laughs> what I'm not sure. So she's she's Swedish, and, and typically for Swedish people, her English is perfect. So I can't tell if she's messing with me at this point and she knows and she's making me suffer. Yeah. 
but like maybe that phrase doesn't have the same connotation in Sweden. Yeah, maybe and not. maybe like adult item is a filofax. Yeah, yeah. Or some slug pellets. Yeah. I don't know. Something that only an adult would use. Mm. <laughs> so she says, uh, what, what kind of item? Oh. My Swedish accent in English isn't as good as it once was. No, no, no. you let that slip. Yeah. So then I just sort of take a deep breath and say, um, <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> I say, oh, it's a sex toy. Oh. <laughs> and then she says, oh, no. Okay, and what is the telephone number of the recipient? What? So, I mean, she's just completely matter-of-fact. Yeah. Like she, so she's just going through these questions, that's one of them. Oh, right. We're on to the next question. Right. Oh, okay, okay. I think, anyway, I mean, it could just be a Swedish thing. Like, they, they, like they're just really relaxed about bodies and, and healthy, robust sex. Yeah. I don't know. And then she says, aha, I see uh, you've entered one digit incorrectly in his phone number and uh, we couldn't contact him to arrange delivery. Oh, no. Okay. So I'm not quite sure why she needed to know the content of the item. No, nor do I. But I brought this on myself by being so giddy when I was thinking of my hilarious prank that I was playing on Alex. I didn't copy his phone number down correctly. Yeah, yeah. And now it's led to me having to describe the contents oh. of a parcel containing a make a replica of your own penis kit to an older lady at a courier somewhere on the outskirts of Stockholm. We're all just so relieved you didn't say it's a cloner willy. <laughs> that would have been so much worse. Like, I mean, I don't think she was tormenting me. She didn't need to know what was in it. Why would she need to know what was in I it? I don't know. And then when she said entered a digit, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. Yeah. Entering a digit. No, I think you're reading too much into that, definitely. Anyway, so th- then what happens is it, <laughs> kind of, um, it kind of vanished off their online tracking system, presumably because it had gone from being this automated delivery to somebody having to manually intervene in, in right, it. Right, right. I then like couldn't see uh... when it was being delivered. Oh, no. And then a couple of days later, mm. Alex sent me a photo of himself with this kit. Yeah. And then I tried to salvage the whole thing, which the whole point, if you remember, was that I wanted to send a message and yeah, go F yourself yeah, and this yeah. thing would turn up. Oh. Like, I then had to reply as quickly as I could. So I'm like, really, like, type in quickly and I send a message, you know, then as a reply by saying, go F yourself. Mm. Obviously, F being the F word. Only I'd got myself so worked up and, and I was in such a tizzy. I wrote, go F your selg. <laughs> I didn't put a mistype. Yeah, oh, you've ruined it. By mis- and then I had to send a text correcting it. Like just with, you, with the next one was just the word yourself on its own. <laughs> yeah. I'm always getting caught out by that. Oh. Like if, I send, if, if I rush a text message and put a kiss at the end of it, it's all, I always then see that I've sent a C, a letter C, mm-hmm. instead of an X with my fat thumbs. And then I have to like send up a, a, a follow up, explaining that the C should have been an X for a kiss, not a C. In case they think it just stands for the worst offensive <laughs> word. I like how you correct yourself though. Like I'm sure it could have worked out that it was yourself, not yourself. But you still, you still wanted to. Also, 
Yeah. I like the fact that he just knew that it was from you. Did it have, <laughs> did it ha- did it have like love from Jeff in it? Like he just yeah. knew it was from I'm, you. I, I, I would like to think that that was the case, but <laughs> I suspect that really what happened was my name was on the invoice. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Which is the one great thing about it. At least then, you know, for once you can buy somebody a present and they, uh, they can see how much you spent on it. No. <laughs> <laughs> that chance, though. Right, let's uh, let's hear what the drifters have been in touch with this week. First one from Alec Lodge in Essex. I've actually had my drifteriness quantified by my Garmin fitness watch. I'm a nighttime lorry driver and was delivering to a depot next to another industrial unit. I was sitting in the cab overlooking this neighbouring unit when a very heated argument broke out. I heard all sorts of shouting and swearing, a bit of pushing and shoving, and this escalated to the point that someone pulled out a knife. The situation was diffused fairly quickly and nobody was hurt. I left soon after, so not sure if the police were called. Later that day, I thought I'd see what my watch had detected for my stress levels for the day and was surprised to see at the time of the incident it had recorded medium, but there was a high reading later in the day. I realised that this had been when I called a plumber. So my Garmin concluded that calling a tradesperson had caused me more stress than almost witnessing a stabbing. That's amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, yeah. I get it, though. Totally get it. Totally get it. Oh, I love that. Next one from... I I just wanted to say, like, congratulations Mm. to Garmin for pivoting. Pivoting? Because weren't Garmin always sat-navs? Oh, yes. And now because of phones, I'm guessing the sat-nav... I mean, you don't hear a tom-tom anymore, do you? But TomTom aren't making watches, fitness watches. No, they've moved on. Good for well, them. Well, maybe they haven't. Maybe things have gone wrong for TomTom, but Garmin mm. saw saw what was on the horizon and yeah. thought we'd better make something else instead. Yeah. I'm guessing. Mm. I mean, I should probably do some reading up on it. I now want one to detect where I'm most stressed during the day. <laughs> I'm quite excited by this idea. Okay, this is from Distinguished Emperor Martha. The tale of Annabelle's ex and his beer-regifting embarrassment reminded me of an excruciating Schrodinger's gift tag situation that still haunts me 14 years later. I used to be a youth worker and when we had to move town just after my son was born, I naturally received some very sweet farewell gifts and cards from the young people I was leaving behind. Some of these items I kept and being naturally frugal, some that I knew I wouldn't use went into my re-gift drawer. Fast forward two years. My son is attending a preschool in our new town and his key worker is retiring. I'm pregnant, not particularly with it. And on her last day, I suddenly panic because, of course, I've not got her a card or a gift. To the re-gift drawer, I think it's there for this very reason. I grab a nice scented candle in a jar and get him to make a card. Paper grab from printer, fold in half, a few colourful scribbles and Bob's your uncle. Once at preschool, I hand it over and try to imbue more meaning into this gift. I say grandly, he chose it himself. It's only later, as I'm bathing him, that my thoughts turn to the gift and who the original donor was. I remember a lovely teenager called Becky. And then, at the back of my mind, a picture of the object swims into view with a heartfelt gift tag bearing my name. Uh, Scrambling to the drawer, the tag is not there. uh, Did I remove it before adding it to the pile years ago? Was it still attached (laughs) when I hurriedly grabbed it and threw it under the buggy? (laughs) Did I double down on the lie by pretending my son had handpicked the item from a recent shopping trip? (laughs) I will never know if that tag was there or not. And she will never have mentioned it if it was. She was always so lovely. She volunteers at my local favourite charity shop. 
But now don't worry, I've got her rota memorised. So it's only when she's covering someone's sick leave that I have to make small talk, <laughs> all the while wondering if she's still thinking about that candle just like me. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is from Tim. He says, it was 1997 and I was working for Stay Bright driving a minibus. It was a big white LDV van. It was Saturday and I was just trying to get home. I live in Northampton and I was driving down Harleston Road to get to my home in Dunstan. Sorry, Dustin. I noticed a lot of people were standing at the side of the road like some sort of parade. Then someone flew a, threw a flower on my windscreen. Then once one was there, it opened up the floodgates and I had to turn on my wipers. So here I am driving down the road with my windscreen wipers on because I can't see as people think I'm part of the parade. Then I had to get a policeman to move a cone so I could get off the main road. When I get back home, my mum is watching Princess Diana's funeral procession drive up the Halston Road en route to her final resting place and they have their wipers on as well. I was never seen on TV and I don't think I was close to the funeral procession. But the next few days, people kept asking me, why were you part of Diana's funeral procession? (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely. I'd like to see a film of that. That's so great. I mean, presumably that stuff is on YouTube somewhere. Presumably, yeah. Do you ever look for yourself on Google Street View? No. So I found Sarah twice on Google Street View. Hmm. Looking for herself. No, no, what I mean is I, I, I oh, quite you found often her. when I'm bored, I'll like roam the streets just seeing if I can spot myself. And I've found her huh. twice. No. Once on our front doorstep talking to her friend Elspeth and then once on the main road near us walking along with her friend Elspeth. Oh. And these aren't two people who are out and about or, or with each other all the time. Weird. Yeah. It's like that the Google thing is stalking the two of them together. Or maybe Elspeth tipped them off. Ah, that's more like it. Yep, (laughs) yep. Must be that. I do quite like it. I do spend more time than you'd think. Hmm. Just like having a little roam around the streets on Google Street View and then thinking, I wonder what this looked like in 2015 and then going back through time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd think no time, so that certainly is more time than I'd think. Who was the the candle one from? That was from Martha. Martha. I got slightly distracted by that one because I was just like astounded at Martha's visual memory, mm. being able to recall that there was a gift tag yeah, on Yeah, that was a very, very good visual memory. Some because, people just have that, don't they? And, and I'm the opposite. As I've said before, I've yeah. got this thing, a fantasia, where I can't really visualise anything. Mm. So it is my worst nightmare to have accidentally been in the vicinity of a crime and then it being on Crime Watch some months oh, afterwards and them saying, yeah. I don't think it's on anymore, actually. No, no. But, but if that, what? I mean, if. thank God for that. Mm. I mean, how long did that show run for? Years. Why haven't my stress levels gone down then since then? <laughs> uh, but, you know, them saying, were you, did did you spot anything happening on this street at this time mm. uh, on May the 7th last year? I don't remember. No idea. Like, I, I, I can't visually think of anything. It's amazing to me that people can. Mm-mm. So, Martha. It might have saved you, like, some stress, though, because you wouldn't just would have forgotten that tag. So that's a good thing. Yes. Mm. I, I, there's no way I would have been able to remember that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but then... I do have all my feelings which come back and haunt me about oh. things on a regular basis <laughs> yeah, anyway. There so, is that, yeah. You know, it just leaves more room for that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, please uh, please send us your story of social ineptitude um, or like, being caught in the... 
because we, we used to on the radio like being caught in the background of TV shows and things. Yes, yeah. But the, it, you know, the, the modern era and YouTube and the internet opens up a whole whole new realm of that, doesn't mm, it? Mm, mm. So, uh, so yeah, the email address is hello at adriftpodcast.com. Annabelle. Yes. Do you have another way in which you are not a fully functioning adult? Yes. So I've had a lot of time at home recently. It's been quite intense. And there's a few things that I've noticed that I've never noticed before that I want to get off my chest. First of all, the kettle. Now, the only hot drink I have is herbal tea. Talk me through making a cup of herbal tea. Uh, I boil the kettle. Yeah. While it's boiling, I get a mug. Yeah. And a tea bag. Yeah. When the kettle's boiled, Mm -hmm. I pour the water onto the tea bag. Yeah. And then leave it around five minutes. Okay. And depending on how lazy I am, mm. I will then drink with the tea bag in the cup yep. or I'll, uh, I'll I'll chuck it somewhere. So what's interesting to me then is you're leaving it five minutes and that's because you boil the kettle. It was boiling hot. You can't drink boiling hot liquid. You can't put that in your mouth. It'll burn it. No, no. It's about the, I mean, that that is, of course, Oh, true. and steeping. It's about the inv- steeping. I was going yes. to use infusing, but steeping is yep. a nicer word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could also, if it's too hot, you could just add a bit of cold water. But then I think, well, hold on. Why am I letting the water get that hot? Why am I not just warming it up, like half boiling it? It makes no sense. It's not like I'm using water that I got out of the puddle that a fox pooed in. <laughs> I drink the cold tap water. It's not like we need to boil the impurities away. It's everyone else half boiling and not telling me. Though the, ste- the the steeping is the factor here again. Well, the steeping is important, but still, after five minutes, that is still going to be no, hot. No, but what I'm saying is, you can't, you can't, the, the the it won't steep properly unless the water is hot enough in the first place. Right, well, don't agree because I've been trying it out. Well, let me tell don't you something. Agree. My kettle has a number of settings on it. Well, this is what I'm coming to. Oh, okay, okay. This is okay, what okay, I'm coming okay, to. Okay, okay, okay. I've never used any other than the boiling one, but... Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, this is what I'm coming yeah. to. So I start doing some experiments. Yes. I try half boiling it. It's a bit of a pain because you have to stand there, you have to time it, you have to get it right. And then like, ultimately I always forget it. And then I do notice when it's boiling, it's going totally mental. It's like, it's like it's, it's ridiculous. It's angrily bubbling all over the shop. When I made you a cup of tea before, I noticed mm. that your voice was so feeble, I was struggling to hear it over the kettle. <laughs> well, that's very speaking, noisy. Were, but I think you were speaking especially quietly. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so all this is going on in my life. And then I have <laughs> this brilliant idea. It's a brilliant idea. Yeah. I thought, why not get kettles that do just a half boil. Like this, isn't this is what I'm thinking at the time. This is an incredible idea. You could select the temperature, 50 degrees, 75 degrees, 100 degrees if you're boiling water for pasta. And I am so excited. I'm just about to Google how to become a contestant on Dragon's Den. <laughs> when I stop, and then I fantasise a bit about my lifestyle once I'm a kettle billionaire. And then... I do a quick Google to check whether someone's maybe already patented the idea or maybe tried to do it, but it's just one obscure site. They haven't had the vision to make it take off. Guess what I found? You know what I found? Temperature control kettles everywhere, like every shop. <laughs> Why did nobody tell me? Was this some kind of big secret? But you've seen my kettle. Like, I've had that kettle for about the best part of 10 years. I've just seen kettle. I've seen no more than kettle. I didn't know that you had different, like, different temperatures. 
Yeah, I mean, as I say, I've never used any of them. Can you? Because is there one that does fifty degrees? Probably. Yes, probably. These are the ones I've been looking I'll t- at. I'll tell you something about my kettle. Like a few of my kitchen plants, and this is this is embarrassing. Mm. It's a kettle by Heston Blumenthal, whichever brand it is, by Heston Blumenthal. Oh yeah. And I was completely suckered in because. So if, if I see some pans that are like Jamie Oliver pans, or if I see, I don't know, a, a lemon squeezer, that's a Gordon Ramsay lemon squeezer, or a celebrity has designed some clothes, mm. I don't think they've had anything to do with the designing of those clothes or pans or whatever they are. Mm. I think they've signed a big deal to put the signature on them. Right. Because that's what's valuable to the kettle maker. Yeah. And just because you know how to um, uh, cook something doesn't mean you know how to... <laughs> Become an ironmonger and make a pan. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. the two things are, are different. Yeah, yeah. You might have a conversation where, like, Jamie Oliver would sit down and say, "Oh yeah, well, I've always th- it's always frustrating me about pans, mm-hmm. but that's as far as it goes, and I think it never even goes that far, really." Right. Would be nice if the handle like had a little hole here, you know, some, some nonsense <laughs> like, like that. Hang it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas. Because of Heston Blumenthal's personal brand mm. of like this genius who's inventing things, right? I think, right, oh, yeah, right. He was definitely, he was definitely, oh, down, yeah. he was definitely down the factory. Every stage coming up with a perfect version of this kettle. Yeah, yeah. So as a consequence, it's got the, the button that I press all the time, which is the only one I ever press. Mm. And then there's one for black tea, one for green tea. There's about four different buttons, but I couldn't tell you because I think there is something that if you pour water, that's too hot. On a certain, on the wrong type of tea, it scorches it. Oh, but you don't. But if it's too cool, then it's not going to steep and infuse in the same way. Has has your kettle got a function that means it can keep the water continuously at the same temperature? That exists. Well, it shouldn't, from an environmental point of view. No, of course not. I hate hate that idea, (laughs) and I would never buy a kettle with that. Okay, that's one thing. Here's another. There's more. Oh, there's more. Oh, great. Oh, I'm far from finished. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the potato peeler. <laughs> now, I stayed in a holiday home over New Year that had one of these newfangled potato peelers. You know, the ones where the peeling bit is horizontal on a handle, not vertical. Do you know what I mean? Hang on. So it's does, like a, U, it's like a, a Y like shape. A, like a y, yes, it's I've, a Y I've shape. I've got one, one of those, but I never use it. I always, always yeah. use the other one. Why didn't nobody tell me how much easier they are to peel with? Have you never used one? They're incredible. I think I used to use one in Sweden. They're so much better. No I think one. The Swedes all use them because the Swedes just know about stuff like this that. This is another big secret everyone's keeping from me. Like, why am I using these old? I never. I barely eat potatoes because I can't face peeling them because <laughs> I've got an old school one. Right. Picture the old school one in your head. Right. You got yeah. the handle. Yeah. Then you have got the metal bit that yeah. goes upwards vertically, and then you have got the peeling slit in the middle. Yes. Then picture those serrated edges. Mm-hmm. What the hell are they for? <laughs> It's like it thinks it's in West Side Story or something. Like, what the hell has it got serrated edges for? Have you ever used that serrated edge? Ever? No, what's it for? Nobody knows. Which brings me to my next thing. Peels (laughs) that we do and don't eat. There's often no logic to it. (laughs) Carrot, take it off now. Cucumber, no, leave it. Potato, take it off now. Apple, no, leave it. (laughs) Parsnip, take it off now. Peppers, no, leave it. (laughs) One last thing. <laughs> Buzz Lightyear. My son's got <laughs> My son's got a Buzz Lightyear toy. Yeah. Why does it never take its spacesuit off? I'm finding that weird. I'm worried that it's grown onto his skin, like people who never leave their sofa and the skin starts fusing with the fabric. <laughs> anyway, that's it now. I feel better now I've got all that off my chest. So uh, 
the quarantine period. <laughs> it's over, thank God. <laughs> wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Incredibly exciting happened to me last week. Oh yeah, I got to go and visit Paul McCartney's windmill. I'm sorry, I didn't know he had a windmill. Was oh yeah, a windmill. Paul a windmill. Yeah, right. Where is it? Well, I can't say because it's a private windmill. What? No one knows where it is. Well, people have got an idea. I thought you were asking me for the coordinates. <laughs> is it in this country? It's in the countryside. It's in this country. It's in, it's, it's in the countryside. So you got? I didn't know anything about so, this. So yeah, so Paul McCartney. It's um, it's not far from where he lives most of the time in the countryside, Okay, has uh, a windmill in which is his recording studio. Oh, okay. So it's not like Umis's Grot Bags, <laughs> Rod Hall and the pink, pink one. windmill. Oh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> like when you, I'd rather when go you and see that door, one. Like, somebody out the, the door. door. Yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. Out the door. Oh, um, right. But it's his own private recording studio oh. where he does all his, you know, it's where he gets all his ideas out. Um, he does a lot of the sort of work for his albums there. It's where the Beatles recorded when they reformed in the 90s to do those tracks. Uh, it's where all his stuff is. I mean, it was just amazing that I got to go there. Mm. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, because it's this private place, I thought I would never get to see the inside of it. Um yeah, I've been inside Abbey Road, which is like the the holy of holies. But then there are other places you think, well, it'd be nice, but it's not going to happen. Mm. And this would would be in the top one or two places that I've wanted uh, wanted to go. Uh, so I got to go there, and I saw it. It was it had been positioned in a room so that when I walked in, it was it was there. And I have never in my life had a, a stronger reaction, a stronger visceral reaction to an object. What was it? Paul McCartney's Hofner bass guitar, oh. the violin bass. Oh. It was it, it. It was like the uh, the Hallelujah chorus was going off in my head when I when I saw it. Oh, like next to it. They'd put out the um, the guitar that he wrote yesterday on. So that was exciting. Mm. But I, th- I was thinking about this bass and I was thinking, I mean, I've seen like Mona Lisa, I've seen Magna Carta. I'm not saying they've left me cold, but it's like, oh God, it's Mona Lisa. I've not had a, a like a, a, a visceral, it was like a holy, it was like a religious experience being that close to this thing. And I was thinking that, I wonder if it is, just from a, a purely visual perspective, like um, the the most recognisable musical hi- instrument in history. Okay. I mean, I probably wouldn't recognise it. I bet, I bet you would. I bet you would. <laughs> really? I bet you would. Yeah, because it doesn't... This is my point about it. Mm. So 
of course, there are very you know many famous people who play musical instruments. Yeah, uh, from Mozart to Bob Dylan or Stevie Wonder. Mark Knopfler's but, double bass, double yeah, double bass. Well, <laughs> but those instruments aren't as as recognized. Th- this mm. thing, like it looks, it's called a violin bass. It looks really distinctive. Okay. And I think even if you weren't a big Beatles fan, if somebody showed you and said, uh, "Who's who? Who do you okay. associate this instrument with?" Mm. You'd say the Beatles because it looks so unlike. Okay other guitars mm. so that that's my point not mm. that it is i mean there's an argument to say it's the most important musical instrument but i'm not sort of claiming that i'm just saying it's the most recognizable mm. because the beatles came of age in mass media which like beethoven or mozart or whoever didn't and even in rock and roll when there are so many guitars and things you get used to seeing all the time, nobody really, you see them from time to time, but nobody really plays an instrument that looks like this apart from Paul McCartney. Okay. So I think that was why my reaction to it was mm. so strong. Mm. So that was very exciting. Did you behave yourself? You didn't... I wasn't allowed to touch it. Oh, good, good. I, didn't, I, I just, I, I instinctively knew. Did you? Um, it's not like when I stuck my head inside. <laughs> what was it? Like the FA the cup FA or cup. Yeah, you didn't have that instinct then not to put your head inside of it and they took it away in a half. Yeah, because that object has no significance to me. <gasps> oh, that was a great day. Right, I know that there is a cultural or significance to that. But, but so what do you put your me. head in it? Come on, guys. They did not find it a bit funny, though, did Even they? Even slightly. No, it was terrible. It, it was they, were, they were angry. Brought it. Yeah. And then do you remember when one time we were doing the radio show from Abbey Road and they brought out the microphone that um, <laughs> the king had used, the real king, oh, yes. the king's speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember in that film, like Colin Firth was doing loads of swearing into that microphone to help him with his stammer. Yeah. So I like... Un- unleash this tirade of filthy words. We're pre-recording something, and I said, "Oh, we can um, we can bleep those out." Mm. And the engineer looked horrified that I just said such filthy things. Into the <laughs> oh, this piece of history, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a lack of respect for it. Oh, I'd but this Hofner base. I mean, I, I just and I, I knew not to go more than a few centimeters. But it was so I could see that like the scratches on it from where it had been played and stuff. And you think about mm. the history of this thing and, and the guitar and all the other stuff in the studio is is quite is quite amazing. Um because it's like a private place, I didn't touch anything and I also knew that like I'm I'm not gonna ask if I can have a photo in here or anything or take a picture of anything because it felt like that would be uh, an invasion of of privacy. And so then I thought even talking about it on the podcast, where's my line? Mm. So I'm happy to talk about that like base mm. because um, it's in the interview that I'll air on American radio. But then beyond that, I, d- I don't really want to say too much because I feel like, really privileged about getting to be in this place. Mm-hmm. But I thought I could tell you, uh, do a little report on the toilet if you like. Oh, yes, please. So first thing. There was the most, I don't don't know if you get impressive or hefty looking toilet plunger that you've ever seen. Oh. And by that, I mean, it it looked like it was sort of hewn from wood that you'd see in a great cathedral or like a Viking longship or something. The the container it was in, everything about it looked like an antique toilet plunger, but at the same time, very clean. Very interesting. And then do you want to know about the, uh, the toilet reading? The toilet the reading. reading materials. Oh, yeah, toilet. yeah, yeah, go on. So there was a book of Gary Larson, Far Side Cartoons. I love Gary Larson. There was something called The Book of Eco Humour. Okay. I think, you know, Paul and 
Linda were um, big environmentalists. He continues to be. Mm. And there was an agent provocateur catalogue. Very interesting. Which it wasn't quite like when I worked in a printers in Macclesfield and there was a stack <laughs> of nuddy books next to nuddy, mucky books next to the toilet. Oh, similar. Mm. And I'm not saying it was Paul who put it there. Nick wasn't it? One of his, uh, one of his uh, people who works there. Like the guy who showed me. Oh, here's another thing. The guy, the guy who um, was showing me around was his technical manager. Mm. And we're in the kitchen. And I asked if Paul has a favourite mug. Oh, yes. And? He does. Yes. But he wouldn't tell me which one he was. And I really tried to Paxman, Paxman on it. I really tried to press him. Secretive. And I think he was worried that I would steal it. Oh, well, he's, yeah, he got the measure of you. Yeah, mm. which I might, I might have done, to be fair. Mm. How does the agent provocateur cattle look in your house Well, so Quandary Corner at the Glack Clinic. Now, before we get into it, mm. Annabelle has asked me to ask for some more quandaries in a way that doesn't sound desperate. <laughs> They're my exact words. So that's what I'm doing now. Mm. I don't know. We're very low, actually. Very low. Well, it happens from time to time, doesn't mm, it? Mm. And I'm never sure if it's because we've solved everything <laughs> or if we've done such a poor job mm, yeah. uh, of, of solving the more recent ones that people think, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we did have this hypothesis, I guess, that uh, um, because of the pandemic, people were having less quandaries because of fewer quandaries, I should say, um, because they they weren't leaving the house as much. But I'm not sure it's that. I think no. more likely is we're just doing such a terrible job of it. Yeah. But let's let's see uh, let's see how we get on. We would yeah. like more quandaries, please. So if there's any situation you have found yourself in or regularly find yourself in, which require um, some some kind of social etiquette, you're not sure what the rules are of a given situation, then we will try and help you with that. First one's from Sarah. I live in Canada and my family and our friends are currently booked to go on a trip to Hawaii in mid-February. We've been very fortunate in that none of us have contracted COVID to date. The guidelines in Canada at the moment state that if we get COVID while we are in the United States, we will have to quarantine there for an extra 10 days before we can return home. We must have a negative PCR test within 72 hours of our flight home. Here is the problem. I do not think that there is a trip in this universe that is worth risking a 10-day quarantine in a hotel with our two young children ages five and seven. Not to mention the astronomical cost of staying an extra 10 days in Hawaii at short notice. However, I am the only one who feels this way. My husband and our friends, who also have a five-year-old, believe it is worth the risk. Please can you tell me who is right in this situation? Am I overreacting to how horrible a 10-day stint in a hotel would be with children? As someone who is quarantined with their child, perhaps you have some wisdom to pass on, Annabelle. Well, I will start by saying I have very strong feelings on this and I suspect they may be different to yours. Oh, no, I think you're you're thinking of uh, who loves a holiday more than me, Jeff, right? Yes, and I think you like to take a risk more than me. So I'm guessing you think it's worth the risk. No, I don't know. Oh. That. I don't know. Oh. That I do ten days. Well, actually, let, let me just think about this for a second because I I have been to the states mm. um, under restrictions, oh. like perfectly legally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just trying to think about it. So when we went to visit Sarah's parents last mm. summer, I'm guessing no, no, that's not right. 
Do they have those restrictions then? I don't well, think. Well, there was all the testing and PCR stuff, like you and um, fit to fly, but I don't think we would have had to stay in a hotel. No, you could have just stayed at your in-laws. At Lynn and Joe's house, yeah. So that that's the thing. I don't think staying... I, I think the risk of staying in a um, quarantine hotel, mm. especially with kids, yeah. has to be really carefully balanced. So when did she say this is? Mid-February. I don't know. It feels like Omicron's working its way that way, doesn't it? So the state's got it after... And, you know, I, I know there's all these other conversations about quarantine periods and, and like lots of other stuff and you know how different variants mutate and what that means and like there's there's a bunch of different conversations mm. but if those are the rules mm. i think there is a uh, uh, a somewhat reasonable chance that you would end up staying in a quarantine hotel for 10 days and i don't know that i would want to take that risk no so i did it in my own home with all my own stuff, my son's own stuff, with a garden to go in. Imagine doing doing it in a hotel, no outdoor space, none of no toys or anything around you for ten days. Yeah. I mean, this is horrific. Yeah. With yeah. two children. Yeah. I only had one, two yeah. children. Yeah. For me, if the risk is above, say, 0.5%. <laughs> you know what? Hawaii probably is still gonna be there next year. Probably. You can go next go next year. What's the big what's the big rush, guys? What's the big rush? Don't like, I would not risk it. Sorry. If if it had been if if we had been talking later in the year even, mm. I'd I'd say it's it's like a risk worth taking. Yeah, not with things at the moment. But sorry, think, sorry. You know. And I don't even mean I mean, I don't know what your vaccination status is and there's there's you know, there's other factors. Well the children won't be vaccinated, will they? Probably not. No, no, but um you know, there's there's like lots of there's lots of factors around that though, isn't, mm-hmm. isn't there? But um, I think sort of regardless of all that, just this Omicron seems to go like wildfire when it gets somewhere. Yeah, the state seems to be in a bit of a lag compared to like we, we got it and we're sort of like getting over the hump of it here, right? Mm-hmm. And then it seems to have gone that way. Mm. Hawaii's even further around. So presumably it's going to keep going that way. Presumably. So it it just seems like in February yeah. it's going to be going around there. Also, you can't guarantee that if you did get COVID, you'd all get it at the same time. You no. could be like with me that one of you gets it and then six days later another one gets it. Six days. You could be there until 2023 in this quarantine hotel. I'm not joking. Yeah. But okay, so now we move on to what I think is the bigger question. Yeah. She hasn't asked, but I'm going to ask it, seeing as we've answered this one. How do you then persuade everyone else who are, are not risk averse? Oh, uh, well, you... This is... this this. So we've said don't go, but how are we going to persuade the other group of friends? I think this is the awkward bit because when other people are a bit more gung ho, it's hard to be the one that's saying, I'm too scared. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I think. So it's like the the range of opinion in this room mm. is you are more careful than the rules. Yeah. And I am 
if this can be interpreted as being within the rules, like, mm. as long as I can, with clear conscience, feel like I'm following the rules, mm. um, that I'm not going to do more than the government is telling me to do, mm -hmm. even though I might not necessarily uh, agree with the choices the government is making, mm. whereas I think you will. Mm -hmm. But that that's that's the range of opinion between you and me. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're not that far apart, really. We're no. both rule followers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas I, I haven't really had been in a situation where, because I don't do anything or go anywhere, mm. I've not really been in a situation where I've had to contend with, with the gung-ho. Right. I mean, maybe I would seem gung-ho to you. I don't know. <laughs> You're so gung-ho. I'm starting to think now, well, Sarah, we've answered what you asked us. Like, you didn't ask us this extra question. Why am I trying to answer it? But it's a big question, to, isn't it? Because, yeah. like, unfortunately, um, like, th this, this whole thing has gone from... I don't like, you know, basically what I'm saying, like like everything, it's polarised people. Yeah, like yeah, everything yeah. these days. And mm, mm. like people make it part of their identity. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how you get around that. Mm -mm. Pretend like it's not happening. Play them this. Mm. And then they just probably won't want to be friends anymore because this is what you listen to. <laughs> no, play them this and they'll know what the right thing to do is. Look, I like to travel and I have travelled within the rules during coronavirus mm. and I have made an assessment on each of those trips mm -hmm. about the risk of testing positive, which is always there mm. and then that would entail. But the times I've done it have been at points in the you know various curves and waves where it's felt like the, the, the reward of getting a break yeah. has been higher than the risk of contracting COVID and spreading COVID around. It's felt like a, a low probability yeah, yeah. at those points. Travelling, like, when, when it's a much higher risk, not just from a sort of spread it around point of view, which is the thing that's always sort of sat badly with me. Mm. Um, you know, that's the thing that I'm always mo most concerned about. But but also from a having to be in a hotel. Like, the chance of you being stuck in a hotel room mm. for 10 days, and don't think of this as being like a free holiday in a hotel for 10 days. Mm. I think it's wretched. It's more like akin to being in a, like a borstal or something. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Think of it like that. Yeah, yeah. The risk, to, to me, the risk is too high of being stuck in one of those places. Terrible. Go next year. Yeah. There we go. Right, one more. Yeah. This is from Hazel. At my work, the offices are all accessed from an outrageously long corridor. I have to walk along this corridor every time I want to make a cup of tea, collect my printing, leave the building or use the toilet, as does everyone else. The corridor is very long and straight, so it is possible to make eye contact with people coming the other way for an uncomfortable amount of time. What's the best way to tackle this socially awkward situation? Do I keep my eyes down until I pass someone, then look up and say hello? What if I've already seen that person 15 times that day? Do I still have to acknowledge their presence? What about colleagues from my office? Do I say hello or is that ridiculous since I've been sat with them for hours? What about people I've said hello to before and they've completely ignored me? Please help. 
Why aren't you looking at your phone? <laughs> so everyone else is doing. Yeah. Walking along, looking at your phone or just looking at a notepad. Yeah, yeah. Often I think the best thing to do is just seem incredibly absorbed and busy. Yeah. And therefore, it's a risk of bumping into people and I would take that risk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was that was a lot easier than the last one, wasn't it? So much so, yeah. <sighs> well, let's see if that, uh, that uh, shakes any quandaries loose from people. Yeah. Email us, please. It's hello at adriftpodcast.com. And that was our podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, do send in a quandary if you've got one. And uh, and your stories too. We always enjoy them. It's hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thanks to Man and the Echo for the backing music. And to Emily Harrison for the incidental music. Carla Gowlett took our photos. Kim Rainey designed our artwork. And I'll, I'll finish this week with the question on everybody's lips. Why were you part of Diana's funeral procession? All right, podication time. This comes from Alex Wright, who says, Hi, Jeff and Annabelle. Hi. Hi. I'm a long-time listener from the Absolute Radio days. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I'm glad you're still with us. It's lovely, isn't it? Um, and having once eaten my way through a sandwich made from mouldy bread instead of telling the waitress because I didn't want to make a fuss. I think it's fair to say I'm definitely a drifter. Mm -mm. I was listening last week when, to my surprise, you read a message from my ex-partner, Stephanie. It seems I'm one of the few listeners who's successfully recommended the podcast to someone who's continued to listen. Um, Completely unrelated to the breakup. I'm sure. Sure. I'm sure too. It was heartening to hear her sincere podication, so I would like to return the favour by podicating this episode to her. Steph is the most beautiful, golden-souled person. What a great description of somebody. Yeah, I know. I'd love to be golden-souled. Um, golden-souled person I've ever known, and I've always been impressed by her creativity, resolve, and determination. She is a beam of light upon every life she touches. Although our journeys now take us down separate paths, I'm grateful for the time we had together. I wish her all the best, and I know good things are sure to come her way. Steph, this one's for you. This is it. this is the best breakup ever. I think it should be recorded in history. It's so this is so magnanimous. I love they? it. I've got Days by the Kinks. Actually, I've got Kirsty McColl's cover version playing in my head. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, what a, what a joy that is to know that Alex did that kindness of recommending this podcast to us. And Alex has used that phrase, golden sold, which I love. Mm-hmm. Like a glowing testimony. I mean, 
I just want them to get back together. Not no. really. Not really. <laughs> I just want to be friends with them. Yeah, it's yeah. how it's all, all breakups should go. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, I loved that. Thank you uh, for um, for completing that little loop there. I love that. Yeah, wonderful. Alex, uh, thanks for sending that in. And, uh, and, and Steph, hope you enjoyed hearing that you're it's weird. I was going to say like your feelings are reciprocated, but you're kind of. It's a bit like um, you know when they're dating shows on TV and then they have to watch videos of the other one talking about how it went, and it's usually excruciating because one was more into it than the other. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah. Plus for something as big as a relationship, wow. really nice. All right. Um, so there you go, Steph. Uh, the the favor has been returned, and if you, I bet. People would be queuing up to date either of these people. Now, I don't know what their situation is. No, no, I mean... But I'm, I'm sure... <laughs> Let's not speculate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm expecting an influx of emails <laughs> from single drifters. Yeah, so well, can you hook me up? I'll pass anything on. Drifter dating... A drifter oh, dating he- Hold on a minute. Yes. There's an idea. Hold on. Mm. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you would like a publication, email us. It's hello at adriftpodcast.com. 